I loved this chapter, Ephesians 4, and those of you that were here last week, uh, we did give you the text. This was the first week that we gave you a printout of Ephesians 4 and the verses that we're studying tonight to take home and to dig into. And so we'll keep reminding you of this wonderful process that we would like to impart to you. It's the joy of digging into God's word for yourself. And so this time that we have together is when we dig in together and we savor and we learn from each other. And it's really a picture of what Ephesians 4 is talking about. And uh, the themes that we see tonight are the fact that we are a body, that just like a physical body, there's true connectedness, there's true unity, there's true oneness, and there's life inside these physical bodies that we have. And so it's true for us as Christians, that we are not uh, solo flyers, that we're connected, that this life we live is a connected life. And with that, God has provided all that there is that we could ever need to not just give us a humdrum, drag it through the days and the months and the years of our existence on this earth, but to live and, and make a difference to each other, into the lost world around us. Who wants to say amen to that? Amen. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you haven't left us to just figure it out. That as we open these pages, that God, you've, you've given us mentors like Paul and, and others that walked before us. And, and also you've given us your voice your instructions through your word. And so tonight, I pray that you would really just pour into us and give us this thrilling sense of what you're doing, not just around us, but in us and through us. And we pray in Jesus' name. And the all set, amen. So Ephesians 4. Whether you open your Bibles, please, and you can get out your handouts that you were given when you came in or that you used through the week. And we'll read through it. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit. You're called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But... Here's our transitional term, but to each one of us, grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captive, captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. That means not just men, but mankind. 
case you wondered about that term. <laughs> now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But he, that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And indeed, Christ did descend to the lowliest of life. Didn't he live the humble life, the low life, the poor life, the misunderstood life? He descended to this, this weary world that we live in, and he also descended. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, and he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and this is why. If you make lists, this is why. You could take these next phrases and make a list. Why did he do that? Why did he give people with such gifts? Number one would be for the equipping of us, for the saints, for the work of the ministry. Number two, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Number three, till we all come to unity of the faith. Number Number five, and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And number six, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. Love that may grow up in all things unto him who's the head, Christ. From whom, and verse 16 is a very important concept, from whom the whole body, that's us, this is the body, joined together, knit together by what every, every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part What's it, what's it Nick say? Does it share? And when each part does it share, what happens? It causes growth of the body and edifying of itself in love. So let's back up the truck to verse number one of chapter four. And Paul is laying out his favorite credentials He said, I am a prisoner, what does it say? Of the Lord. He is a prisoner of the Lord. This concept has captivated me literally for the last three months. It's very important to take note. There's a difference. He's a prisoner of the Lord and not, he's not saying, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. For the Lord. Now, in some cases, he could have expressed that. But tonight, we need to look at that concept. He's a prisoner of the Lord. This phrase has has been a reality to me. A dawning reality of truly a jailbreak. That's what it's been to me. A jailbreak. It has changed the way I look at the confining circumstances of my life. 
because the definition of prison is confinement, limitations, hindering, where you feel like you're tied up, can't do, can't be who you want to be. And here's the jailbreak, that we are not to be prisoners of the things that are going on around us or that happen to us. Paul was physically in a Roman prison, as we know. There was nothing fair about any of his circumstances, from the Jewish leaders who falsely accused him to the soldier who was sometimes chained to him, to the jailer who held the keys. They had power, listen to this, they had power to affect his physical world, but who he was in his interior world, his attitudes, his motives, his desires, his decisions were entirely surrendered to not just something else, but to somebody else. Surrendered to the lordship of his real master. To him, there was no second cause. Do you see what that is? So why is this a jailbreak? This sets us free from the bondage and captivity of the resenting and the defeatedness that we sometimes feel and operate in when we have limitations and hard places in our life. Prisons that we feel limited by. Psalm 37 has become a powerful text to me. You can just make a note of it and write Psalm 37 verses 3 and 4. What does that say? In my Bible, under Psalm 37, it says, A Psalm of David. And it says, Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And do good. Dwell in the land. Dwell in the land, whatever that is. Stop dwelling in somewhere else. If you're in the wilderness, be all in. See what God has for you right where you are. Dwell in the land and feed on his promises. And delight yourself in the Lord. So it's kind of like a four key promise there. uh, Four keys to victorious living. And this advice was given by David, not when he was young, a young warrior, not when he had become king, no. It was at the end of his life, when he looked back over at his life, at the hills and the valleys. And in that psalm, he says, I was young, but now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken. And you know, I used to be young too. (laughs) And I've had lots of hills and valleys in my life. And I can say, just like David, me too. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. And that's a powerful promise. That's important. Paul, he agreed. He belonged to Christ. And because of that, his prison cell, instead of being confinement, was a platform It was a platform for what God wanted to do in his life. To walk out our life, to walk out our life, and the Christian life is called a walk, 
not a run, not a fly. It's called a walk, one step at a time, irregardless of the circumstances. What Paul's doing is calling us out and said, wherever you are, live worthy. Live worthy of the high calling with which you were called. When we think of this term, worthy, I know what some of you thought when you read it, whether you consciously thought it or not, some of you probably said, well, I certainly am not. Worthy is not a title that I really feel like I totally can identify with. I'm, I'm not worthy. But that's why we're teaching you while we're imploring you to pay attention to the details. This worthiness, this worthiness is worthy of not you, but the calling. That we're to walk worthy of the calling. It's the calling itself that's worthy. And it's the caller himself that is worthy of such loyalty, such honor, that we would want to honor him in all that we do, in all that we say, and the way that we live. It's him. I never get tired of that wonderful phrase, living under the audience of one. I love that. Living for his pleasure. God, does this please you? And that audience of one concept will set us free from the opinions and the pressures of people. Because before all others, we'll have nothing to gain, we'll have nothing to lose, and we'll have nothing to prove. Because it's first of all pleasing him. Yes, we're to be pleasing to others when we can, but you can't. You can't please all the people all the time, can you? Some of us have tried. <laughs> Therefore, for Paul, listen to this very carefully. For Paul, what did he mean? I'm a prisoner of Christ. What he's saying is, yes, indeed. I have limitations. I'm captive to his opinion. I'm captive to the boundaries that he has set, and those are good boundaries. And it keeps me running my race. It keeps me in my lane. Like Yvonne was talking to us last week, it keeps me focused. It keeps me centered. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me his. And that's the glorious thing. What does living, what does living worthy then really look like on a day to day, ordinary my life, ordinary your life living? Well, well, I love that he gives the definition. He says, just be humble. (laughs) Just be humble. Just be gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. This is what worthy looks like. 
Sometimes we get these lofty, shiny definition concepts that we can't attain at all. He brings it right down to where the rubber meets the road. If you wanted to explore that, and I encourage you, when you're sitting there and reading such things, write these kind of words down. Because since that's the definition of living worthy, get your dictionary out. Write out definitions. And then sit and ponder them. God, what, how can I live this way? Thanksgiving, when I have all these combination of people in my house and people don't bring the right thing and they don't help me clean up, how do I live worthy then in the real atmosphere? In verses 4 and 6, it talks about this oneness, this familyness that we have. That we are one, meaning just like a body, this, this Christian reality that we have. It's, we're, not, we're not disconnected. Just like a body, it would be not just odd, but really ugly. If there was a hand here and a foot there and, you know, a ear laying over there in the back row, unconnected, not functioning together. So that's a picture that he wants to play, to paint for us. But I want to stay steady with this, back to this Psalm 37 and show you how it all relates to this. Psalm 37 again says, Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Please write this down. And do good. That's our high calling. So trust, again, a a well-used word in the Christian vocabulary. But do you really know what that word means? Trust in the Hebrew is batach. And trust is confidence, confidence, complete confidence. Another part of the definition is to be bold, to feel safe, to be secure. And even part of the definition is to be carefree. Somehow that almost doesn't seem responsible, does it? <laughs> to be carefree. But that is part of the definition in a practical, real life way. This is not self-confidence. This is God-confidence. In Paul's case, in his physical captivity, wicked Nero was the emperor of Rome. He couldn't be trusted, but God could. For David, in his life, Saul was the king of Israel in his early years. And sadly, he couldn't be trusted either. He was selfish and territorial and horribly jealous of David, which caused David to run for his life. He lost his home, his physical safety, and his family. 
But it's important to know as you read his whole story, that's why I love to encourage people to read the whole Bible, where you read the Old Testament stories of these people. He was safe. He was safe. And then when he was old, he looked back on his life and could say, I was safe. I was safe. I was safe. Because God can be trusted. And that's a powerful thing. Open your Bibles now. We're going to take a little field trip in this picture. And we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to grab just a couple moments from his life and then bring this home to what it means. In chapter 22, he was in the cave of Adullam. And in verse 2, it says, Everyone who was in distress, in debt, and discontented came to him. And I love that. I love that David, who had already been anointed to be king, but now was on the run for his life, others who had troubles, others who had needs, others who were discontented with the way that this broken world operates, just gathered around him. And they became a little band together. They became a little group. So in chapter 23, it was told David and said, they said, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floors. And David could have said, so what? I've got troubles of my own. I have nothing going for me. Who cares about these people? But verse 2 tells us that's not what he did. There's a therefore. I love the word therefore. He heard there was trouble with people who were defenseless and being tromped on. So therefore, David inquired of the Lord and basically said, what should I do? Is there a role you want me to play? And the Lord said to David, go. Go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Verse 3, but David's men, these little band of discontents who had troubles of their own, they said, wait, we've got troubles of our own. We don't feel safe right here, let alone going to battle for somebody else. Verse 4, David models something we need to learn to do. He inquired of the Lord. And once again, the Lord answered and said, Arise, go to Keilah. I'll deliver the Philistines into your hand. And so they went. And they saved the inhabitants of Keilah. But, but, in verse 8, Saul heard. Saul heard they were there. Aha! I know where David is. And I can go and capture him now. David heard that he was on his way. And he inquired of the Lord. In verse 10, he said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down? O Lord of God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, 
Saul's coming. So David said, so will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, yep. They're going to do it. You know, if I were David, I'd go, what? What? Important principle. You may think I really um, got way off track. David had giftings. God had given him bravery. God had made him a warrior. Now it was supposed to be used with him as the king. But God basically said, I gave you what I gave you. And I'm going to show you when to use it. And he did. But then in this moment, when he thought it should turn around and protect him, what happened? They were going to desert him and turn him over. Verse 13 is an important lesson on this whole theme. So David and his men, about 600, they arose and beat those kilots to a bloody pulp. Right? Oh, no, no, it doesn't say that. They departed and they were so angry and bitter and they complained about it for the rest of their life. Oh, no. They just departed and went wherever they could. Now you might be thinking again, what's that story about? Well, it's wisdom for this whole Christian life that we live. As Mother Goose always said, for every problem under the sun, there is a solution or there is none. If there's solution, if there is a solution, then find it. If there is none, never mind it. So, I like to say, it is what it is. What's the principle? What's the principle? Jeremiah says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Blessed is the man who makes God his trust. And that's why being a captive of the Lord is the safest place where you can ever be. When he sends you to bless someone, to defend someone, don't look for your rewards to be safety for yourself. It's God who's in charge of your safety. It's God who makes this whole orchestra work. It's the giving life that's the good life. I love this story because it's so important for us to know that in this body life thing that he wants to do, he's going to give you gifts. And your opportunity is to use them. Now, it will look at different at different times. Like for Paul, his gifts were teaching one of them. And so sometimes it might have looked like this, where there was a gathering of people, and people sat with their notebooks and took notes, and they learned. But at this time of the writing of this letter, he has no cluster of students to sit around him, but he's writing a letter. He's using his gifts where he is. 
and he's looking for God to keep that supply going. So he just keeps pouring out. Irregardless of the seemingly hazard, hazardless, has the problems he's facing. (laughs) Sometimes you just need to go. You might be wondering what David's life in Keilah has to do with, with this whole chapter. Here's the application. Life in Christ is a journey. That's why we call it our walk. We need to walk out our faith. But we have to remember that we're not lone rangers in this Christian life. We're not, which many Christians are. Many are. Yes, they may go to church, but they are entirely disconnected. Who believes that's true? We've got to face this reality. And Ephesians 4 is to break that up and to bond us back like we belong. So here's some lessons from this. Number one, one of the reasons is because we are sometimes so captive to our circumstances. We are so wrapped up in our own dilemmas and problems and issues. And because of that, we have tunnel vision and we don't even notice those around us. Who would say that's true? Yes, that hinders us. Number two is when we've been hurt, disappointed, let down by Kila people in the church. I want to hit that one real hard. And that's why I rabbit trailed. <laughs> because this is a biggie. Someone was complaining to me about Christians saying, well, I don't go to church because those Christians are so imperfect. And I said, yep. You know what? You know what's the biggest problem with the church? They'll just let anybody in. (laughs) And I said, and then you know what my favorite part about the church is? They'll just let anyone in. It's awesome. It's awesome. But here's, here's a big thing. As I was writing this, I have a very, very dear friend. I've known her for many years. And in the last 10 years, she has left two churches because of key law moments, disappointments with how things came down. She left two churches. She's now in her third, and she has no intention of getting involved. First two First one, she was deeply involved. Second one, pretty much deeply. And now, no intention. And the tragedy, she's amazingly gifted. Has a heart as big as a truck. But she let this crash her. I'm saying to you, don't do it. Don't do it. Number three, we have no idea. This is one of the reasons that Christians aren't operating. 
and aren't eagerly seeking what are spiritual gifts, God's what what's my lane? What do you want me to do? What difference can I make in this world? We don't realize how valid, how vital it is. How vital it is. How vital you are to the body of Christ. How much we need you. You know what? I need you. You need each other. We're vital. Just like a hand, if it was cut off and just sat over there, it would look fine for a while, but it would just not have, have the, 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 the life, the connectedness. It would not be useful. We need this. And sometimes we think that it's only the famous people and the big people in the Christian world. And I want to say, the guys on the radio don't come here. They're not sitting in your seat. They can't lay their hand on somebody and comfort them and pray for them. We need a bunch of us little people in the trenches. Now I want to bring it all the way, all the way home to you. We live in a lost world. We do. And this world is hungry for a true sense of being included. Do you believe that's true? That's what the bars are about. That's what gangs are about. That's what cliques are about. People are hungry. The family is so broken up that people are just drifters. They're hungry to see something real, to be something, to be, to be part of something, not just to see it, but to be included, to be accepted in the beloved of something that's right and good. People are hungry to make, to feel like they can be part of it. They are. You are. I am hungry for this. This is not just a job. This is not just a natural ability. We long to see the supernatural. We do. And that's why when he led captivity captive, he ascended on high. And it's from the high places that he gave us spiritual gifts. So, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that although you could use angels and you could have made a whole class of people that were brilliant and perfect and shiny and pronounced every word right, we thank, thank you, Lord, that that's not just who you use. You want to use us, ordinary people. In the ordinary places that we are, and sometimes the prison place, the, the, the hospital room or the doctor's office or the other hard places that we find ourselves in, those are the very platforms that you use to show your sweet, kind, gentle glory. So I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would use us. Use us in this broken world. And we pray in Jesus' name. And they all said, 
Amen. That was so weak. And they all said, Amen. God bless you.